Why does the thrill of soaring have to begin with the fear of falling? And in this little time we've got this morning, I want to encourage you to give you some hope. I want to encourage you that you can soar. You have the ability to do whatever God has put before you to do. You have the ability to be everything he says you are. And last week when I talked about your identity as as sons and daughters and princes and uh, processes apparently here, but I think I mean princesses, um, (laughs) saints and ambassadors, then it's vital, you know, it's more than possible that you can achieve that identity. It's not unreachable. It's not unobtainable. It's not just for certain people. It is for everybody. That's who you are. And it is possible for you to know Deep in your heart, without a shadow of a doubt, with deep conviction that you are a son or a daughter, a prince or a princess, a saint or an ambassador. It's possible. For everybody. Whatever is before you to do and whatever is before you to learn that you already are, you can soar. But here's the thing. If you are going to soar, you have to first be willing to fall. You can, though, overcome that fear of falling and experience the joy of soaring when you do what he's called you to do, when you do it in partnership with him, you will soar. Can you put these lights back on? I realised it said in that video that the push, because that's what an eagle does, she literally pushes the babies out of the nest. And if she doesn't do that, they never learn to fly. The only way they learn to fly is when they start falling and they go, I best do something now. They start flapping and they realise they can actually do it. You realise it works like that, that great mothers and fathers push you in full confidence that you'll fly. You don't want a mother or a father hen. You want a mother or a father eagle. You don't want somebody clucking around you keeping you exactly where you are, never using the wings that God gave you. You need a mother or a father eagle that's going to push you somewhere so you can fly. And I want to explore this by looking at a couple of stories from the the Gospels. They actually, all these stories are playing Matthew, Mark and John, although different versions of them, uh, always one after the other. Uh, But we're going to explore the first one uh, in Mark and the second one in Matthew because there's just some more information there. So let me read this to you. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. It's a remote place, he said, already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said, well, that would take almost a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much money on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves and he gave them to his disciples to set before the people and divided the two fish among them. They all ate and were satisfied. So Jesus teaches them. And the disciples are going, all right, it's a bit late now, Jesus. You know, it's time to go home. We can, you know, tired. Let, let's get them off to bed. 
And you know, the disciples have done well. They've recognized the people are hungry, or maybe they were hungry. The people are tired, or maybe they were tired. And, um, and they recognize that there's a problem. And they think, right, this is fine. We could, all these people can sort themselves out. And then they find themselves very quickly going from comfort zone, feet firmly on solid ground, to feeling like they are in free fall. Which is what one sentence from Jesus can do to you. Because Jesus turned around and simply says, you give them something to eat. Which of course throws them completely out. How can we give them something to eat? Have you seen how many of them there are, Jesus? And then they respond by saying, that would take almost a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Often, when we feel like we are falling, like the disciples did, we remain quite narrow in our thinking. They were still very limited in how they thought about events unfolding because they assumed, and quite reasonably, that the only way to get food is to buy it from the shop. That was their, There's one way to get food, you go to the shop and buy it. And of course, when we find ourselves falling, we often want to fall back on strategies that have served us well before, when life's difficult, when it feels like life's just kind of plummeting to our death, if you like, in a metaphorical sense, hopefully. Um, we, we kind of, we want to do what we've done before, but if you're going to go to new places, there's new things to do. A baby eagle can't do the things it did in the nest when it gets pushed out of the nest. If it wants to soar, it's got to do something different. It's already got what it needs. It doesn't need anything different, but it's got to use what it's already got in a different way. If you feel like you are falling, you need to be open to doing things in new ways, to asking new people to help, to perhaps operate in slightly different ways. You didn't get anything new or produce anything new by doing what you did before. If you simply carry on doing what you did before, you get the same result you got last time. But new scenario, new situation, new challenge means new skills, new abilities, new partnerships and new approaches. But what is most encouraging about this whole thing is that you read, when you read the story in John's Gospel, John writes that Jesus asked the disciples the question to test them, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. So Jesus wasn't leading them to a place that he was not with them in it. He wasn't leading them to a place where he wouldn't help them. He already knew how it would all pan out and he already knew all the answers to the problems. He already had it all sorted. He just wanted them to learn something. Jesus is not taking the disciples for a ride. He's not mocking them. He's not showing off. He asks them because he wants them to do what he does and because he believes they can do it. He believes they have the ability to soar in this situation. He doesn't think that they will fall he would never put them in that position where he didn't think they would saw. He would never have put them in the position if he didn't believe they had what it takes to saw. You see, this is the truth. If you feel like you are falling, Jesus believes you are ready to saw. That's the truth of it. If you feel like you're falling, Jesus already believes you are ready to saw. He already looks at you and he's not worried that you're going to fall flat on your face. He's not worried that you're going to crash and burn. He's just waiting for you to flap your wings a little bit and start doing what he already knows you can do. But of course, the disciples don't seem to have any faith in themselves. Jesus has got more faith in them than they have in themselves. They say that would take almost a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? 
Notice they don't say we can't afford it. They don't say we don't have the money. They say, are we going to spend that much money on that? It seems there was plenty of money around Jesus to go and buy enough food for 5,000 men plus the women and the children. Jesus always had enough. He just chose to use it in different ways. It's really interesting that they may have had almost a year's wages on them. But very often, when we feel like we are falling, we look at what we don't have, we look at our weakness, our failings, our lack, and conclude there is no way we can achieve this challenge in front of us. That's what most people do. Because they, have, they don't understand that Jesus has more faith in us than we have in us. That's the reality. We talk about having faith in Jesus, but this morning I'm, I'm talking about the faith Jesus has in you. Perhaps we're reluctant to face the challenge because we focus on our lack and we don't feel like we have what we need to be able to succeed in what is before us. And of course, every baby ego feels like that. As they're on the edge of the nest and mum's kind of going, go on, get out. They don't feel like they've got what they need, but they do have what they need. They are built for it. An eagle is built to soar on the thermals that God created with those beautiful wings and just kind of, and as soon as they kind of go, but they've got to overcome the fear of falling so they can experience the joy of soaring. But perhaps the other issue is, a bit like the disciples, maybe we don't want to pay the price. Maybe the issue is not about provision or skill or ability, but about cost. Perhaps we struggle with paying the price to saw. The price, of course, is the fall. Whether it's our faith in ourselves or our ability to choose to pay the price, Jesus shows there's always sufficient provision for what we need to do. And when I talk about the fall, what I mean is to get into a new thing involves this thing called faith, which has no guarantees except it also has every guarantee. He has every guarantee. And so when I talk about the, the cost of the fall, it's, it's going, okay, dare I, dare I actually do this thing, believing that God thinks I can do it, even though I might not think I can do it, but dare I do it? That's the cost there. Most people don't move forward in anything like the exciting, incredible life God's got for them because they refuse to jump out of the nest. Even though it's all there for them. And of course, falling scary. But Sarin's wonderful. Yeah. And that's just how it is, I'm afraid. But Jesus shows us there's always sufficient provision for what we need to do. If it isn't in ourselves, then it is in somebody else. The disciples don't have what they need. They have money, but it seems it's too late and remote, so it's no use. What they do have is actually no use to them in this situation. But there is someone close to them who has enough for what they need. And when they get hold of what that someone else has, the five loaves and the two fishes, which covers their lack, and Jesus adds to it, there's more than enough. There's more than enough. Perhaps what you need is not in yourself. Perhaps you don't have what you need, but perhaps what you need is in somebody else around you. Perhaps that person doesn't need to provide everything like you are looking for them to do. Perhaps you just need to get a seed from somebody else. And when you take that seed and place it in the hands of Jesus, he'll put it back into your hands and it will multiply to become more than enough. So, okay, maybe you don't have it, but it's in somebody around you 
And maybe you go, well, you know, nobody has got enough to feed 10,000. They didn't need that. They just needed five loaves and two fishes, and they had that. But it was there. So they looked at what else was around, what else was available. Sometimes I'm learning this deeply recently. You know, people often need somebody to have faith in them. They need somebody to tell them that they believe in them. It's hugely powerful. Hugely powerful. Sometimes just telling somebody that you believe in them is all they need to go and do it. It's all they need. But you have to actually believe in them, by the way. You can't just spout it off. (laughs) You have to actually believe they can do it. Don't just go tell them, I believe in you, I believe in you, I believe in you. Because people feel it. They feel faith. They feel it. I know if somebody comes, I I go, oh yeah, but I just know you'll be all right. And it's because I actually know it. And they pick up that sense of, oh, he says it'll be all right. And for some reason, they go and do it. But that's how it's meant to be, because whatever you've got, you're meant to give it away. To whatever degree you've got, you're meant to give it away. That's how you get more of it. God always provides for what he wants to do. In whatever way you are feeling like you are falling, God always provides what is necessary for the job to get done. And he always does it through you and through me. So that's the first episode. Jesus, amazingly, just goes, no. He's not, he's not setting him up for a fall. He's not setting him up to be, to be kind of, uh, so he can laugh at him. He's doing it because he believes they can do it. And then he proves they can with him. After this episode, Jesus disappears. So the disciples get in the boat and start to cross the other side. Jesus decides he's going to join them, but he's not going to go in a boat. So we get to... Shortly before dawn, the disciples were in a boat on the lake. Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried, said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. So Jesus has just fed 5,000 men, plus probably women and children, with five loaves and two fishes. And now he decides he's going to go meet his disciples by walking on the lake in the middle of the night. Now, when this story is traditionally taught, the focus is on Peter and the fact that if he just kept his eyes on Jesus, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have sunk. And if you keep your eyes on Jesus, it's all all right. Which misses the most amazing point of the story, by the way. The fact that he walked on the water. Hello? Let's focus on what he got wrong. Uh, Yeah. How about focusing on the fact that the man walked on water for crying out loud? Eh? Surely that's the important point of the story. Eh? A man that was not Jesus did what Jesus did. That's the point of the story. What's amazing about this story is Jesus' faith in Peter. Jesus does not ask questions to humiliate us. He does not open doors for us to walk through thinking that we will fail. He doesn't ask us to do things knowing that we don't have the ability to do them. He just is not like that. So when Jesus invites Peter, or rather Peter asks, but Jesus does say, come, 
Peter of all people. I mean, Peter's the one who just continually got it wrong. Peter's the mess-up boy. He just always gets it wrong all the time. He, he just, he's the most useless disciple of them all. <laughs> from, a, from, a, from an external point of view. From a thinking that they've got it point of view. Actually, he's the most wonderful disciple of them all because he just keeps on going. Keeps on trying. He's a wonderful trier, is Peter. And of course, you see what he ends up doing. So when Jesus says come and he invites Peter to join him, it means something. It means Jesus believes Peter can be like him. It means Jesus believes Peter can walk on water. And guess what? He can. He actually can. So when Jesus says, you have little faith, why did you doubt? What does he mean? Well, the general story goes that Jesus, Peter didn't trust Jesus. Well, it might be true. But what about Peter's faith in Peter? What about Peter's faith in himself? What about the fact that Peter doubted himself? What if Jesus was saying to Peter, he needed to have more faith in what God had already put in him, in himself? That if he only would start to believe that with Jesus, he could actually do it. If he'd only start to believe and grasp the truth that with Jesus, anything was actually possible. Jesus had already invited him to come onto the water and he was doing it. He was walking on water. But then perhaps what happened was that his head kicked into gear and he realised he was walking on water and he realised he shouldn't be able to do that, so he sank. What if that's the reality? What if his own faith in Jesus' ability in him wasn't sufficient? Perhaps Jesus has more faith in you than you have faith in you. Perhaps Jesus thinks you are more capable than you think you are capable. Now, of course, we know it's not of ourselves and that we're out and we can, we can do nothing. We know that. I'm not saying you have to puff yourself up and it's all about you. Clearly, it's not all about you. In fact, it's not anything about you. It's about him. But the truth is this. Jesus no longer has a physical body. He no longer has eyes that can see, a mouth that can talk, arms that can hug, and legs that can walk, and you do. You do. Of course, it's you in partnership with him, but you're an integral part of it. When he went back to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit, he ushered in a new era of partnership of you and me and him together. And if Peter can walk on water, if a man who is not Jesus and who doesn't have the Holy Spirit on the inside of him, like you do, can do an incredible thing like that, then what do you think Jesus believes you can do? Not many amens there, were there? Jesus believes you can saw. He believes you can manage it. But if you were going to saw, if you're going to do what Jesus has faith in you to do, you must get over the fear of falling so you can enjoy soaring. soaring. As the book put it, you have to get out of the boat if you're going to walk on the water. They could have all done it. All 11 of them could have done exactly what Peter did and only one did because only one was willing to get out of the boat. That's the reality. Well, the one that got out of the boat walked on the water. The 11 that didn't, didn't. <coughs> and when you're on the water, when you are soaring, whatever analogy, metaphor you want to use, you must keep reminding yourself that Jesus believes in you. You must keep reminding yourself that he thinks you can do it. You must keep reminding yourself that you have the ability, you have everything you need either in you or around you because if you didn't, your father would not have you in this place. 
you are so much more able than you think you are. So much more equipped than you think you are. So much more full of him than you think you are. You are so much more full of Jesus than you even realize you are. But we've got to shut down those things that tell us otherwise because that's where the battle is, as we know. That's where the fight is. But the only way an eagle will ever learn to soar is when it first falls. The question then is not whether you want to soar, but whether you are prepared to fall. Now at this point, I want to finish with an objection that comes up. Because I hear in lots of people's heads, oh Adam, but I don't want to soar. I just want to stay in this beautiful little nest and enjoy the view. Why do I even have to soar? Because you were born for it. That's why. You were born for it. You were not born to sit in a little nest and cluck around with a load of heads. You were born to soar. You were born to experience the joy of soaring and flying. You were born to experience the delights of what it is to know Jesus. You were born to soar. And so the truth is that, of course, you can just stay there, but you were not born for that. You were not designed for that. You were not built for that. You were not created for that. And Father wants you to do everything you were born and designed to do. You were born to saw. You may have been sold a lie that the nest is wonderful, but you were born to saw, and deep down in your bones you were created to saw. And even now, I can guarantee that somewhere in the spirit of every single person in this room, and anybody watching or listening, something in you goes, yes. Something in you, it might be really deep down, but something in you goes, yes, I want to saw. Okay, well, how are you going to fall then? <laughs> but you see, it's only ouch when you land, and you're not going to land, so it's all all right. This is the exciting thing though. Some of you have already got things before you, already got places in front of you, already got journeys that you feel like are mapped out and you're not sure whether you can do it. And I am telling you, you are going to nail it, man. There's no doubt. I have no doubt that you're going to nail it. You're going to soar, you're going to fly, you're going to love it. Will it be difficult? Will it be scary? Yeah, of course it will. It's called life, but it's going to be wonderful. That's the reality. But you have to know it like I know it. See, I have no doubt whatsoever for me and all of you that it's all powerful and it's all going to be amazing. I have absolutely no doubt about it. And you know that because you feel it as I say it. Oh yeah, you feel it. Okay. Well, borrow it then. Suck it up, suck it in. Suck some of that faith in you. Do whatever it takes and then go do something different and then go for it. Well, it's quite simple. You step off the edge. Ah! I know it's not that simple really, but, but what I mean is those, many of you, many of you have got things in front of you, things coming up, things you're aware of, and you're kind of going, mm. and that big gulp right there, as you stand there gulping, Jesus says, I believe in you. And he's got his hand on your back, not to push you out, because he'll never do that, but just to let you know that he's there. And it's a bit like, to use yet another analogy, I know I'm mixing them up. You know when you go for a parachute and you do a tandem dive? It's a bit like he's with you. You, you, don't, you don't jump out of the plane on your own, he's with you. He's got you. And he's the one with the parachute, so all you have to do is enjoy the free fall. One day I'm going to enjoy free fall. I am. I'm going to enjoy it. I was meant to do a parachute jump and then I did my back in and I had my operation and all that but one day 
I have to persuade a doctor to let me do it. But one day, you will. You will. In Jesus' name. You will, your back is going to be well. I've done my zip wire. Oh, that was good. Oh, that was good. Anyways, we don't need to go there because I'll... So, be encouraged, all right? You are sorters. Thank you, Adam. That's all right.